Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you all today. It is good to see you here this morning. I'm thankful that you're here, thankful that you're with us this morning. I got to tell you, I uh, just received about the greatest motivational speech you can receive from uh, my five-year-old here on the front row. Oh, excuse me, she's six. Sorry, let me correct that. My kids are aging, and I'm not real crazy about it, so... Uh, Naomi asked me um, as we were wrapping up music and worship, and after we prayed for uh, our tithes and offerings, she looked at me and she said, Daddy, it is now time for you to go up there and preach. And I was like, okay. So I said, what do you want me to preach on? She said, tell them about Jesus. I was like, okay, I can do that. She said, but uh, do me a favor, and if you would, I said, what's that? She said, I want you to preach through the rest of Mark, and then when you're done with that, move over to Obadiah, and then make sure you finish in Genesis. And I thought to myself, hmm, the entire books? And she said, absolutely, the entire books. And I said, today? She said, today. So, all that to say, I hope you had a really big breakfast. Um, and you don't plan on eating for the next couple of days, uh, here we go. So, no, that was, uh, it was good to hear that from Naomi today. So, Naomi, thank you for that pep talk and for the encouragement. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we are going to be in the Gospel of Mark. We are in Mark chapter 10. I assure you we're not going to then walk through Obadiah and then go back up to Genesis because, again, we would be here for a while. So, if you would, go ahead and join me in Mark chapter 10. Now, we are back in our study that we have called the gospel. This is where we are literally walking through verse by verse of the book of Mark. And so today we're actually going to wrap up chapter 10, and then we're going to keep pressing forward from there. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to focus on what it means to be sent. Now, many churches often talk about being sent out. So this is normally one of those topics where as a believer in Jesus Christ, as one who feels called and compelled to serve faithfully in a local church, or even called and compelled to faithfully go and share the gospel, and perhaps you are doing so, this is often one of those moments where people in the church, believers in the church, begin to tune out. But if I, if I could, and if I may ask it of you, I would like for you to really dial into this particular passage this morning as we discover what it is we need to consider as we are being sent out. Now, uh, before we dive into this text today, I want us to do something if we could today. I want us to avoid the language that we are now entering into the mission field like many church signs often suggest. In fact, when you leave our property, you see those very same signs. And I believe those signs are good and right, but rather what I want us to see is this. As believers in Jesus Christ, as confessing believers of Christ, I want to make sure that we understand that we have been sent by Christ to make him known. In fact, if I could, and if it were possible, I would actually change the signs as we leave the property to read, you are sent. 
Now, it's not because I'm thinking of something fascinating new. Rather, it's simply that I don't want us to just not simply be reminded of the call. Rather, I want us to be reminded that as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who are here who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, it is now in our DNA to be believers who share the good news of Jesus Christ. So as we get back into the Gospel of Mark today, let's take a look at what it means to be sent and how we are all called and how we have all been sent to serve. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we are in Mark chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 32. And once you have found your uh, place in the Word, if you can and you are able, I would invite you to stand now in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is the Gospel of Mark, the good news of Jesus Christ, according to Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. Mark writes, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up, uh, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to uh, be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with the disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, 
Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have in these next few moments to to just simply sit and study your word and reflect upon who you are and what it is that you are calling us to. Father, I pray that you would continue just to lead us in worship today. Father, thank you for being with us as we worship you in song. Father, thank you for being with us as we worship you through giving. And now, Father, we pray that you would continue to remain with us as we worship you through the study of your word. Father, may you and you alone be glorified in these next few moments. So God, prepare our hearts, give clarity to our minds, and Father, help us to hear your truth today. And Father, may you and you alone be glorified in all things, for it is in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could, I want to set the scene for you. Now, when the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8 uh, through Mark chapter 10, this is actually the most sustained and specific teaching on discipleship in the New Testament. Now, with each chapter, both in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, and again in Mark chapter 10, we see a passion prediction of the Lord's death and then ultimately his resurrection. We see a very unwise response by the disciples. And then we see a lesson on discipleship, service, and true spiritual greatness. So the Lord's teaching here on true spiritual greatness actually reaches its climax once we get to uh, verse 45 of Mark chapter 10, where Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now here in this passage, we find the central key verse of Mark's gospel. This was ultimately the reason why Jesus Christ came. So this passage actually gets at the heart of the gospel and therefore is a pattern for all who would follow Christ. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are sent to serve. And since we are sent to serve, we must be willing to lay down our lives if God ordains it to be so, just as he ordained it for his son. So this morning, what I want us to look at is I want us to look at servanthood, and in particular, I want us to be able to answer the following question. What can we see, or better yet, what can we learn from Jesus Christ about service? Well, first we see this. Being a servant comes with a cost. We see this in verses 32 through 34. Now, Jesus is actually back on the road going to Jerusalem. Now, we expected Jerusalem was where the passion would take place, but now it is clearly and plainly stated by Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus has now set his face to what it is that awaits him. Jesus has now counted the cost, and nothing will stop him from accomplishing the will of God. Now, I wonder, as Jesus was moving along, I wonder if he had the words of Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 11, which is also known as the servant song. I wonder if he had that song on his mind as he made his way to Calvary. 
In fact, I wonder if the words from Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, rang true for him, which says, But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know I shall not be put to shame. Now, you see, as believers in Christ in the room today, we need to pay attention to these next few moments. In verse 32, we're going to see that the cost of service may lead to misunderstanding. Now, again, Jesus knows exactly where it is that he is going. He knows what it is that he will have to do. Yet the disciples who are with him, they have no idea, and therefore it unnerves them. They watch in amazement, and they watch in fear, and yet they still have no idea what is happening and what it is that awaits Jesus, even though Jesus continues to tell them. However, for Jesus Christ... He knew fully what was going on. He had considered the cost of what was about to happen, and it didn't matter at this point whether or not he was misunderstood. And the reality is it will be the same for us as believers today. Do we understand the cost of serving Jesus Christ, even if that cost leads to some sort of misunderstanding? In verse 32 through 34, we see that the cost of service involves mission. Now, Jesus, with the 12 here, provides the most detailed prophecy of his passion. These words here reflect those of the righteous sufferer found in Psalm 22, and again of the suffering servant found in Isaiah chapter 50. Now, through the specific aspects of the passion and the mission that is laid out in this text, we can see how God sovereignly and providentially has laid out the road that Jesus Christ will walk and the plan that God will accomplish. Now, if God will do that for his son, if God will do that for Jesus Christ, then surely we can count on the fact that God himself has a sovereign and providential plan for each one of us. You see, God orchestrates the plans of our lives. God is the one who orchestrates the steps of our lives. No matter where we find ourselves in life, no matter what is happening around us or to us, there are no accidents and there are no surprises with God. And you see, the people around us will still misunderstand it all. We will have family. We will have friends who will simply not get it. They will say things like, why are you going to church on Sunday morning? Why are you serving and doing ministry through your church? Are you kidding me? Isn't it enough to simply be a believer and that be it? Why are you wasting your life? Believers in Christ today, if you have heard those words from any of your friends, 
if you have heard words that are even closely related to what I just said from your family, then let me encourage you with this passage today. Do not lose heart in those moments of questioning and doubt because here is the reality. God has a plan for your life. God has crafted your life, my life, all of our lives. He has crafted it all down to the very last detail, to the very last breath, and to the very last beat of our hearts. Yes, there is a cost to serving Jesus Christ. Yes, there is a cost to following Jesus Christ. But just as Christ was sent to serve, so too are we as believers in Christ sent to serve as well. Secondly, we see that being a servant is a challenge. We see this in verses 35 through 40. Now, serving Jesus does not come easily. Chances are we probably have had a voice in our head from our fallen sin nature deceiving us into thinking things like you were not good enough or maybe this, uh, deceiving you into thinking God only helps those who help themselves. Now these phrases are not only not true, but they are also not biblical. And so you will see in our text today, we will see an encounter with James and John with Jesus that will change everything. They know that Jesus is heading for glory, but as for how the glory would come, they clearly do not have a clue. And so we look at verses 35 through 37. James and John here make a request of Jesus that completely cuts out the rest of the disciples. Their request to Jesus reveals a complete lack of comprehension of what Jesus has just said, but it also reveals their own sin and their own selfishness. You see, they wanted to sit in what would be two of the most honored places next to Jesus Christ in glory. Now, clearly this question or this request shows their superficial understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and their inflated opinion of their own importance. They were clearly getting at how God measures greatness completely wrong. But you see, being a servant, being a servant of Christ goes against our human inclinations and our human tendencies. We didn't get into verses 38 through 40. And here we see Jesus give them a gentle, firm, and yet gracious response. He compares his approaching suffering and death to the drinking of a cup and to baptism. Now, drinking a cup with someone speaks of sharing in that person's fate. Now, the cup was common, or at least in the Bible, it was a common picture of the wrath of God being poured out in judgment. We see this in Psalm 75, Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 25, and again in Ezekiel 23. Jesus then also compares his passion or his death to baptism as well, meaning this. Jesus is saying that there will be a moment where he is overwhelmed and flooded and immersed in the plan that God has for him. We know this from Genesis chapter 6 and again from Psalm 69. You see, the cross of, for Jesus Christ was a divine appointment. Jesus knew the will of God for his life, and he still struggled 
struggled with the weight of that moment. That's why we see Jesus praying in the garden, Father, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but yours be done, according to Mark chapter 14. We also read in Luke chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus saying, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus is teaching us here that the apostles were going to be ordained to a similar fate that was close to his own. Now think about this for a moment when Jesus says these words. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to James. James, who would be the first of the apostles to be martyred, according to Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But he wasn't just talking to James. He was talking to John as well. Now think about this, because this is the same John who would experience alone the great persecution of Domitian. And he would be exiled to Patmos by the time we read Revelation chapter 1. You see, James and John failed to see the path to glory, and they failed to see that the path of glory is always the path of suffering. As believers in Christ today, just like James and John, according to the teachings of Jesus Christ, we need to recognize that before the crown, there is a cup. Before the blessing, there is a baptism that overwhelms and drowns. And so the question for us today is, are we prepared for the challenges that await us as we seek to faithfully serve? Jesus goes on from there. Our third lesson, he teaches that being a servant brings conflict. We see this played out in verses 41 through 44. Now, the other ten disciples are now angry with James and John. Now, again, chances are they're probably angry not because of the question itself, but probably because they didn't think of the question themselves in the first place. They might have had a moment where they said, how can they ask this question? Not because of their own selfishness, but they probably thought, how can they ask this question and why did I not think of it first? You see, Jesus now uses this occasion for what would become his most powerful lesson on being a servant. So back in our text, Jesus teaches us that we are to say no to the ways of the world. I mean, think about our world for a moment. Our world is driven by selfish ambition. Our world lusts for power. In our world, we want to dominate Others In our current time and context, we teach ourselves that the more important we are, the more people who will serve us. But notice it's not so with Jesus and his kingdom. Notice it's completely opposite in the world of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus teaches here that the more important you are, the more people you serve. 
Jesus opposes the mindset of the world, and so should we. So we have to ask ourselves, do we want to please God? If our answer to that question is yes, I want to live for God, I want to live for Jesus, I want to faithfully serve Him, then we ourselves need to become servants. We ourselves need to become slaves to the will and purpose of Jesus Christ. You see, we must become servants. And when we have the mindset of Jesus Christ, we will see others better than ourselves. We will look to build others up and we will no longer be concerned with our own personal interests or our own personal desires. And so we have to ask now, how are we looking to the needs of others in order to lift them up? Now, when I think about lifting someone up, I'm immediately drawn back to a story in Exodus chapter 7 where we see Joshua fighting the Amalekites and Moses is there. And every time Moses raises his hands, Joshua and his men begin winning. But every time he lowers his hands, they begin losing. And so as this battle is waging on and going on, Moses becomes tired. And so Aaron comes along, stands beside Moses, and holds his hands up for him. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be able to look to one another and say, no matter where you are, no matter what it is you're going through, I am there and I am with you as your brother and sister in Christ, and I will hold your hands up. That is service. But Jesus is not done there. He moves on and he teaches us our fourth lesson, which is being a servant is to be like Christ. In verse 45, we see this. Now, Jesus has already told us that he will die in Jerusalem. And here in this passage, he tells us why. He makes a promise here. Pay attention to it. He makes a promise that no other religious leader in the world has made or will ever make. Jesus came to serve us. This is where John, uh, John Piper says it best in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This is what turns Christianity into the gospel. Now notice this. Notice the price Christ paid at the cross. Notice that this was a price that was not taken from him. Rather, it was something that he freely and joyfully gave. Our world will tell us in this moment that this is when Satan was declared the victor. But the reality is, Satan did not win in this moment. Jesus Christ became the great giver, not the pitiful victim. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says it perfectly. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own. Now let's get back to verse 45 of Mark chapter 10 for a moment. And notice what Jesus says. He says, for even 
Notice just in the first two words of verse 45, for even we see the humility and the service of Jesus Christ, who is the one who truly deserves all honor. He is the only one who should be served. He's the only one that deserves all of our service. And yet even here he says, for even the Son of Man came to serve. We see the phrase, the Son of Man. We see the phrase, ransom for many. Now these phrases here redefine who and what the Messiah would be. Here we see the suffering servant came not to be served, but to serve himself. It's just as C.J. Mahaney wrote in a book He said, ultimately, our Christian service exists only to draw attention to this source, to our crucified and risen Lord who gave himself as the ransom for us all. You see, Christ came to offer his life as the self-substitution of God for all of sinful humanity. We needed a ransom, and Jesus purchased us with his blood and set us free. Here we see what we call substitutionary atonement. Christ's sacrificial death on the cross purchased the release from bondage of those sinners who would believe in him. In other words, as believers in Christ, we are now adopted into a new family and the time of completion had come through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Now think about this for a moment. The greatest person who ever lived walked the earth as a humble servant and gave his life as a ransom for many and therefore as believers believers in him, we are called to do the same. And again, Jesus is not done here. He continues to teach us that being a servant, point number five, being a servant is a call to love others. We see this played out in verses 46 through 52. Now what we see here is to be like Christ is to demonstrate the love of God through extending grace and mercy to those in need. Now let that sink in for a minute because oftentimes we get so busy with our own stuff. Oftentimes we get so busy with our own programming within the church that we begin to miss the needs of the people who live all around us. Now let's see how Jesus responds to the one in need. Verse 46 through 48. Jesus now makes a visit to Jericho. Now this would be the last major city on the edge of the Judean wilderness. Jesus was soon to make the 3,500 foot ascent into Jerusalem where he would give his life as a ransom for many. Now allow that moment to sink in. This was the final stop before the final destination for Jesus Christ. And so before he goes... He must stop to help someone who is hurting. Now, as the crowds are gathering around him, he encounters a poor poor blind beggar named Bartimaeus who is suffering from the mob mentality. Now, this is interesting because if you study the name Bartimaeus, you see that the name actually means son of honor. But he clearly was the recipient of anything but respect. You see, he was sidelined. 
He was marginalized in a world that barely noticed him. And so upon hearing that Jesus was passing by, he begins to shout loudly with messianic respect, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now notice what happens next. The people begin rebuking him and telling him to remain silent. Now sadly... This may have been the first time in a long time that anyone has ever taken notice of Bartimaeus. You see, in the minds of the people, this poor, blind beggar did not matter because he was a taker from society as opposed to a contributor to society. But notice what happens. In the midst of a loud and large cry, or the crowd, it is the cry of one man who gains the attention of our Savior. Bartimaeus here calls Jesus the son of David, referencing the messianic title that looks back to God's promise to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. A blind man pleads with Jesus and acknowledges without apology both his helplessness and his hopelessness. You see, we have much to learn here as Christians. You see, as believers in Christ, we should avoid getting so caught up with the masses that we miss the one in need around us. We get so caught up in the trivial and in the petty arguments that are taking place that we forget and we miss the call that God has placed upon each one of our lives. You see, here's the reality. There will always be one. There is never a point in our lives where we are saying, Lord, I don't know who it is you want me to minister to. Because the reality is this. There is always one who needs our help. And so let's pray for the one. Let's share the gospel with the one. If they are hungry, let us feed the one. Let us clothe the one. Let us disciple the one according to the word of God. Let us adopt the one into our faith family and let us love the one. And so the question for us today is, do we see the one in our lives today? But back to our text in verses 49 through 51. Jesus, again, is on his way to die. Now think about that for a moment. Imagine what must be going on in his heart and his mind. He knows that this is the final stop. And so I would think as people today, we could certainly understand if Jesus wanted to pass one poor blind beggar by. I mean, he is about to give his life for many, and yet notice what Jesus does. He does the unthinkable by stopping the entire caravan to simply minister to the one. Jesus hears the cry of the man. Jesus responds. The people then bring the man to Jesus to meet his greatest need. And then notice what happens here. Jesus asks the man, what do you want me to do for you? 
Now, this is important because this is the same question he asked James and John back in verse 36. But notice the stark contrast in the response between the two. It's just as James Edwards says when he writes, the sons of thunder asked for extraordinary glory, but Bartimaeus asked only for ordinary health. And so the Lord heard his request and then will respond not only with health, but with glorious salvation. We get to verse 52. Jesus here responds simply and quickly to the man's request. He tells the man, your faith has made you well. Now, Jesus is not saying that the man has earned anything. Rather, what Jesus is saying is that this grace that has come upon you, this grace is the divine hand that has extended healing, and it is the faith that becomes the human hand that then reaches out and receives that blessing of grace. In other words, Bartimaeus directed his faith to the only one who could heal, the only one who could save, and Jesus Christ did and performed a miracle of instantaneous healing. But then notice Bartimaeus here. Bartimaeus wasn't some sort of ungrateful recipient of a blessing. No, the text tells us that he followed him on the way. In other words, Bartimaeus became a disciple. He basically said, Lord, wherever you go, whatever you do, Jesus, I am here and I am with you and I will do whatever it is you call us to do. Now, we need to pay attention because gospel gratitude will inspire us to follow at any and all cost the one who has freely given us grace. It's just as John Grassmick says, Bartimaeus pictured discipleship clearly. He recognized his inability. He trusted Jesus as the one to give him God's gracious mercy. And when he could see clearly, he began to follow Jesus. And so the question for us today is, do we see what Christ has done for us? Do we see the grace that has been offered? The grace that has been extended to us from the hands of God. Do we have we received that grace? Do we understand that at one point in our lives we were wretched, pitiful, poor, and blind? The world was passing us by because it did not care, and yet it was Jesus Christ who looked upon us by his love, with his grace, and offered us his life as a ransom for our sin slaved state. You see, we have much to be thankful for. We have much to be grateful for. And because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ, do we now follow him regardless of what that may cost us? You see, in this passage of Mark 10, 32 through 52, this would actually be the last healing miracle in the gospel of Mark. Now, like Bartimaeus, we too were all once blind because of our sin. But thanks be to God that by Jesus Christ and his blood, we have now been given sight. 
We too were once poor beggars until Jesus Christ came to ransom us. Just as Jesus stopped for the beggar, so too can we praise God that he stopped for us and he had time for us. You see, the reality is Jesus will stop for anyone who calls upon his name. And so there is hope for anyone who in faith will look to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So let me say to you believers today, again, there is no one on this planet who is beyond the reach and call of Jesus Christ. We have family members that we have given up on. We have friends that we have given up on saying they will never come to faith in Christ. And what I want to tell you is this. We are not God. We do not possess the authority of Jesus Christ. He is alone, sovereign Lord. His plan is providential. And he can reach, touch, and pierce the heart of anyone he deems fit. We are simply called to be servants. We are to be a people who are sent to serve. At this point, I want to ask Corey and our worship team to come back up and join me. And as we close out our time together, I want us to remember, again, it is by his grace that we are here. This was not an accident. This was not unplanned. The Lord knew this day would come. The Lord knew this moment would happen. The Lord is the one who orchestrated this moment. And so because of that, because of his plan, because of his grace, we are now servants of Christ. So now we are called to live out that call, recognizing the cost, knowing that there are challenges that await and conflicts may come. But even in those moments, may we be reminded of Jesus Christ and uh, the passion and the desire that he has placed in us to live out the call to serve others. We are all sent to serve. Let's pray together.